Hi everyone, and welcome to The Human Behind the Screen. And I'm your host, Shauna Morin. The ways in which we work and scale workforces are changing. No longer are we reliant on physical locations in order to operate as a business or a team. And this shift in building teams and companies is coming rapidly. And businesses are being forced to adapt to what they've always done for years. But what does this mean for the humans behind the screen? How do we bring back that human connection when we primarily work online? In this podcast, we'll be speaking to leaders and experts all over the world to dissect what makes businesses successful at remote working. We'll be discussing the importance of human connection, emotional intelligence, and relationships in an ever-changing virtual world. Hi everyone, today I have Tim Burgess, who is the co-founder of Shield GEO. And in the last 20 years, Tim has dealt with thousands of international workers. He's seen the benefits that people, businesses and nations get from international employment. So through his company, he's trying to make it simple for businesses to employ staff quickly and compliantly anywhere in the world. And what's really interesting about Tim and his business is that he walks his talk because he also has a remote team spread across 13 different countries and it's 80% remote. So I'm really excited to speak with Tim today, hear his experiences, his advice, and he definitely is a trusted advisor in his space. So Tim, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me on. It's It's a nice intro. I was thinking you said 13 and I think it's 16 countries now. Um, wow. Yeah, we've got a. we keep hiring in new countries, even though at one point last year, I was like, it would be so much easier if we just stuck to a set of countries instead of continually adding new ones. But it's a habit we just can't can't break, unfortunately. Is that because is that because of the quality of people? And you kind of say, right, we're not going to have a limit to the amount of locations, or is there is there another reason behind it? It's a really good question. You know, I think um, from a practical perspective, it's easier to support a smaller set of countries. You know, particularly when you're thinking about things like compliance, uh, employee experience, and how you're crafting policies. The less countries you deal with, it's just easier. You know, you don't have as many challenges around things like creating a leave policy or administering expenses. And you'll get to know those countries better, how their compensation models work, how people are motivated. Uh, and even logistically for things like organizing retreats and stuff. You know, if you've only got a couple of couple of countries you're dealing with, it's the Spotify model, really. You know, uh, pick a couple of locations and then build around them. It, it makes a ton of sense. Unfortunately, the business that we're in is around trying to employ anywhere. So we have the capability to do it. And it's very difficult to it's very difficult to say, oh, we just want to try and not hire in as many countries when we're like, well, we know how to do it. We've got someone who can do it for us. Uh, we like the person. So we, can, we just keep, keep doing it, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it makes sense. But definitely, that's some good advice. If a company can stick to a certain number of countries. What's your favorite thing about remote working? Uh, the flexibility. I think the flexibility is just fantastic. And, you know, being able to have a lot of choice around where you work, how you work, when you work, uh, I think is something that's very motivating for people. And, you know, it's, it's quite a respectful sort of human focused way to operate. You know, you invest a lot of trust, uh, you get a ton of it back. 
Uh, and I just think it sets a great foundation for having a, a really nice, positive working environment. And you've grown the team over the last couple of years. So you're 80% remote now. What are some of the lessons learned for you as a co-founder and as a leader in building a remote team across 16? That's a good question. I mean, there's been so, so many. It's hard to sort of shrink it down. Uh, and, and to be honest, you know, it's not like we're amazing at it. We're still learning all the time. I mean, communication is really key. I, I think uh, trust is super important. So everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people start with this idea of like, oh, if I can't see people, how will I know what they're, what they're doing? And very quickly, the problem is the opposite. It's these people are so invested. How do I get them to switch off? How do I make sure they don't burn out? How do I make sure they're okay? And so that was a big, that was a big early learning. And then the guy, uh, I, I can never remember his surname, but Sid, the, the guy who runs GitLab, talks about something, I can never get the wording right, but something like intentional social, intentional serendipitous communication. And that was another really big learning for us was that you have to be very intentional about how and when you communicate. You can't just expect it to happen. And that there's, like, it might feel a little awkward at first being like, oh, you know, I just want to, I'm going to schedule a chat with you at three o'clock, you know, like a meeting. But, you know, you do it, you have the chat at three o'clock. It's, a, it's, you know, it's a really nice bonding experience. And that sort of stuff is just so important. Mm. And it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of remote conversations that are happening around the fact that companies that are remote don't need that meeting time, you know, try to move everything to async. But, you know, the more I speak to companies, you know, similar to you, that face-to-face, that meeting time, just to have a chat is really important for well-being and building that trust. So it's the great debate that's going on, I think, in the world of remote work. So while we can, you know, reap the benefits of asynchronous communication and less meetings, how important is those meetings to bond with your team and to check in with your employees? Is that is that important for you? Yeah, yeah. I like the way you frame it. Actually, it's. Uh... It's not for like our approach isn't for everybody, you know. And so there are companies where you know they they hate meetings, they barely have meetings, they don't like you know they try and do everything written, uh, and and that seems to work well for them. And obviously, you know, then you hire on that basis, you screen on that basis, you train and set expectations on that basis. Uh, we don't. We're a bit different, you know. So I've had situations where people reporting to me have said, uh, you know, we're we're not going to have that meeting like they're not going to meet with their team because they didn't really have anything operational to talk about. And I'm encouraging them. Well, look, you've got it in your calendar. Just, just chat, right? You've got like, you've taken the effort to, to get together. Why not spend that time, you know, just shooting the breeze and talking about what's going on. Uh, and, you know, there's no like measurable metric that says that that's a good idea. I just think it's, well, I, we think it's important. And there are a lot of little instances that you'll come across where people will reference the personal bonds that they have or the connections that they have with coworkers and, and what it means to them or the lack of those. And you see that surface in friction, in poor communication, in people having difficulty collaborating because, because of a lack of communication. So there's a happy middle ground. And I think it's probably different, a little bit different for every company, maybe even every team, but maybe even every individual. But we're more on the meeting side, definitely, than the async side. And even I remember talking to uh, Amir, who runs Doist, 
about this last year. And he said, you know, at one point they scrapped meetings entirely and it, it caused some problems. So they had to bring them back. And he, he hates meetings, right? Doesn't want to run, doesn't want to have meetings. And fair enough, but, but he still found that they have a use, even, you know, even in the, even in the environment. So I, I think zero is definitely wrong. 100 are probably wrong. We're in the middle, you know, somewhere. Middle ground for sure. Talk to me about trust. You know, we, we kind of spoke a little bit earlier and you mentioned, you know, you have to give a lot of trust, but you get that back tenfold in remote teams. The reason I'm asking this is I had a conversation with a business owner yesterday who, you know, is based in an office full time with staff. And she said to me, you know, one of the, the perks that our employees want is the ability to work remotely, but I don't trust them all to do that. And it's still uh, a problem for a lot of businesses that are trying to transition into remote. I want to know your thoughts on the subject and, you know, what are the ways that you guys facilitate trust building and, uh, you know, how you do that as a leader? Yeah, I think it's a terrible, terrible mistake. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generally not very like, this is really good and that's really bad. I try and be a bit balanced. But if you don't trust the people working for you, then it just has all sorts of bad outcomes. You know, and, and the most obvious one is people know if you don't trust them and they don't like it. So they, they're scared. They don't want to make mistakes. They resent it. They're going to feel uh, friction between who they have to be at work and who they are in real life because they can't like, what, if you walk in the room and you see that they've got their phone out and they're looking at Facebook, are they going to get fired? You know, it's like being, it's like being back at school. Yeah. And if you're trying to do that, to somebody who's in their home, you know, or who's in a co-working space in a totally different country, then it, it's, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance there. I think, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. You, you're actually, you're providing them with the opportunity to do whatever they want, but you're saying, hey, I don't, I don't trust you to, to behave within certain contexts. So I think you should start from a position of like 100% trust. Now, that doesn't mean there's no sort of checks and balances because you can monitor work output. And, you know, that's just part of, of work. Hey, here's a piece of work. Can you have it done by Thursday? I'm going to see it's done. So we know that you're working. I mean, mm. so there's a, there's that basic element there, but in terms of trusting that people are doing what they say they're going to do, that they're doing it when they're meant to be doing it and that they're, they're operating in the way that you would like them to. I think it's better to, to start from the position that that's assumed. And then if, you know, 90% of the time it, it's going to be totally fine perhaps one in a hundred or, you know, one in 10 or whatever, you might have someone who, um, who breaches it. It's a pretty small price to pay given that everybody else benefits. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. You know, it is that balance of having check, but you should default to 100% trust. And you mentioned there about the hiring process and the hiring process. I see it as essentially a way for you to build that trust and check in with that trust and make sure that there is an alignment there with who you're hiring. But tell me about your hiring process and what have been some of the key learnings over the last couple of years and what's worked really well. Well, actually, I can tell you, I can tell you a story that leads into it, it start, starting with trust. When we first started hiring extra people into the business, there was a period where we were hiring folks in the Philippines and we used an agency to do that. 
So we hired uh, we hired this guy XIBM. He was meant to be helping us with support, and he came through this agency, which meant he was employed by them. And they actually had like a, a like a time sheeting system. I think like some sort of application on his computer, which like recorded what he was doing, whatever. We never really looked at it; just paid the timesheets and so on. And then over time, we were like, "He's just not getting done what he said he he would be doing." And we were trying to work out what to do. This is maybe four years ago, and then we realized, "Oh, hold on, they've got this recording thing." Okay, let's let's look at it. It's the only, it's the only time we ever did. And this guy was watching YouTube videos during the day, you know. And it was uh, the mentality. <laughs> the mentality is quite bizarre because he knew that he had software on his computer that was recording his screen. And, and I remember looking at one, it was like a, a speech that the prime minister gave or something like that. And, and so it was timestamped and he watched this whole thing. It was like 90 minutes. Wow. Anyway, so he got fired, but the learning for us, you know, I guess we could have said, oh, look, we found out about that because of that time tracking stuff. We should be doing that. But the learning for us actually was uh, we'd made a bad hire. You know, we hadn't assessed properly for the right skills. We hadn't checked that, that he had the right characteristics and we hadn't assessed him well during his probation period. So partly by trial and error, part, partly by being deliberate about it, we've got a very defined process now where there are certain attributes that we think are really important. Some of them are basic characteristics like attention to detail, uh, like being organized, uh, being fairly self-motivated. And we assess those in various ways defined ways consistently in our hiring process. Uh, and then also we have our company values. So we've got four values that we try and make sure everybody in the company shares. So, you know, the idea being that we're, you know, we have a, a I'd like to think we have a very diverse group of people. We're always trying to increase that diversity and create an inclusive culture where everyone can be themselves as, as much as they would like to be. But Within that, we need to have some stuff that ties us together, and, the, and they're the company values. Mm. And what we've found is moving, particularly moving to that values-based recruitment, but also being very mindful about how do we check the attention to detail that's important to us? How do we check communication that's going to be important to us? Such that by the time someone's made it through our recruitment process, we've got a high degree of confidence that they've got that baseline, which is going to set them up to succeed. And how do you check for that, Tim? Like, how do you check for alignment on the company values? Is it by looking at previous experience or is it by storytelling? Because that, that can be challenging, right? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways. There's a couple of ways. One is we have some simple tests. Like uh, there's one where an initial filter is we send people a form and there's a bunch of questions there. One of the questions is uh, there's a bunch of written questions with open text. And we want to see, are they writing like a fair bit? You know, if they write one word answers, they're going to struggle in an asynchronous written communication environment. If they're writing a couple of paragraphs in the paragraph or, or you know, four or five sentences, and those sentences are, are readable and clear, uh, you know, that's a basic hygiene factor. There are attributes that we really value around being human, empathy, caring for other people. And so there are a couple of instances where we'll ask questions where there's an there's a, basically a, a set of answers that are right and some answers that are definitely wrong, you know, and there's a range. And, and so we sort of filter on that. And then around the values, we created, so we've got a values alignment interview. There's a series of standard questions. Uh, and we try as much as possible to ask the same question in the same way with the same words to every person. And then we let the conversation evolve from there. 
And we're trying, there's things we're trying to listen for and there's things we don't want to hear. And so it's not like, it's, it's not an exact science, but we're saying if they start talking about something like this, then that's showing that they understand this in the same way that we do and that there's alignment. If they talk about something like that, then not so much alignment and, and, and it's not going to be a good match. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Yeah. And you're right. There's no exact science, you know, to this, but there's some great tips in there. And I I definitely think, you know, you touched upon empathy being one of your company values. I believe that that is such an important value, especially in multicultural environments, is the ability to have empathy for people that are based all around the world, maybe have different native languages in some cases, right? How important has empathy been? In your team, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. It, 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 if you want to have a culture that's that's kind, you know, and, and where there's, I guess, respect, which is very important for us, uh, and also bearing in mind, like we're a service business, you know, so we want to go out into the world a certain way, and we want to take care of people, and we can't we can't behave one way inside the company and behave a different way outside. But yeah, encouraging people to consider what's the experience of the person at the other end of that communication. How might they receive it? How can I best deliver this message for them? It's an effort. Uh, it comes more naturally for some people than others. Like for me, it's, it's, it's a struggle. Uh, it's something I'm always trying to get better at. But I see the value in it. And so, you know, I'm always, always trying. And then we've got some wonderful folks in the team for whom it's just, you know, it just flows out of them. And it's amazing that even in that environment where you can be in a different continent, you know, it can be your morning, it can be their evening, it might be a, you know, a, you know just a couple of sentences on, on Slack or, or whatever, but you can put a smile on someone's face, you can make their day, you can give them a, a boost that's going to carry them for a while if you're being mindful about it, because this, the reverse is also true. And that's probably how I learned that lesson was, you know, I, there, there was a period where my communication was very short, direct, where I basically treated people in a fairly robotic fashion and it carried a real toll. You know, uh, I remember one of our folks told me a story of, uh, she didn't say it was me, but, but it was, that she read a comment. She was at home. So, you know, you can picture mum, three kids, eldest daughter was back from high school she read a comment in our system and, uh, and she was like, oh, that's a bit rude. I don't, I don't, I don't like the tone of that. Maybe, did I misread it? I don't, like, uh, and she went and got a daughter and said, hey, can you read this? Am I, am I misinterpreting this? And it's, you know, when she told me the story, like, I just felt so bad. Because you're thinking, like, that's someone at home in their house with their family and they've got this crappy work experience. Like, in this, you know, in their house. And so I think it's really important, particularly for people who are working from home, particularly if, if someone is inviting your company, your work into their house, that you're really respectful of that and that you do your absolute utmost to make that a really good experience for them. Because, you know, traditionally home's meant to be where you get away from that. Oh, yes. I, I can't agree with you more. And, and this is what I, I tried to get across you know, in, in this podcast is that, you know, yes, remote working has so many benefits, flexibility, et cetera, but you are essentially on your own in your home. And, you know, it's not a case of, I read something online a couple of days ago 
that said, you know, there's no office politics in remote working because you work on your own online with your team. There still is that, but and and that does come up in companies. But if anything, it's heightened because people are working from home on their own and sometimes they don't have time people to talk to about it or they can't resolve it, which would sometimes be easier resolved face to face or misinterpretation. So thanks for sharing that story. I think, you know, a lot of leaders need to hear that, you know, and it's, you know, when you're working, when you're building a business, when things are moving so quickly, when it's sometimes a little bit stressful, it's easy to to fall into that direct communication, go, go, go. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to lean into empathy. For some of us. <laughs> for some, for some for people, some us, yeah. yeah. No, but you're right. And, and actually, I really like the point that you made about this office politics. You know, the, the danger is that if you don't, if you think, oh, remote's perfect, nothing bad's ever going to happen, and you don't consider it as a possibility, then not only, I mean, it does happen, for sure it happens, but, but also you'll be completely ill-equipped to deal with it. And the impact that that can have on somebody, like you say, they're by themselves. Well, if you get into a bad thought pattern about, oh, why do they hate me? They're trying to steal my job. Oh, you know, they keep derailing my project. Oh, this is so, like, you can think yourself into an absolute frenzy because there's nobody there to give you that, like, knowing look or hear your sigh of exasperation or, you know, ask if you want to grab a cup of tea or mm-hmm. the million little human interactions that you get when there are other people around. And if you want that support, basically, like, if you're working from home by yourself, you have to create it. Which, you know, so I guess some people do, some people don't. But the possibility, I think, is there for communication to go quite poorly uh, and be much harder to rescue because of that, because of that distance. For sure. Talk to me a little bit about the duty of care that employers have for remote employees. Well, I think we sort of touched on it around the idea of, I mean, there's a couple of layers, I guess. You know, there's a duty of care, there's a, a, you know, there's a legislative requirement. Uh, and, you know, that's around things like, do they have a safe work environment? But then beyond that, there's the duty of care around human rights and providing someone with an environment that's, you know, free from bias and discrimination uh, and harassment. And then beyond that, I think there's a sort of an ethical, a moral obligation. And... I think it helps to consider all all of those. You know, if you think about the idea of you're inviting work into your house and you want to try and be respectful of that, that's an ethical moral. You know, there's no law that says that you have to do that. But I think it's a I think it's a, a helpful way of thinking about it. And the way that we want our company to operate, it's not for everybody, but the the way that we try to do it is that we want to create an environment where we're very respectful of the individual and as much of themselves as they want to share with us. You know, the idea, do you bring your whole self to work or not, is, is a personal decision. Uh, I think what you want to try and do is provide an environment where they can, mm. if they choose to. If they don't want to, it's a, again, it's a personal decision. But if you're trying to do that, then you also have, I think, a responsibility to consider not just the person and the work that they're doing, but the environment that you're creating around them and how, and how you're impacting them. And we've been doing this 
research recently around loneliness and disconnection. And, and one, of the, one of the concepts in there is, is around uh, emotional contagion, probably a slightly dangerous topic to talk about when there's an actual virus going around. But, um, you know, the concept being that happy people who are happy spread happiness, you know, and people who are unhappy, they'll spread that unhappiness. So one of the you know, classic examples will be that if I've got a bad boss, then my partner's work colleagues will be less happy because I'll come home and grumble. My partner will be unhappy. They'll go to work and grumble. And then they're, you know, it, so it spreads. So if you think about that concept and then think about you're going into someone's home where their family unit is, if you're bringing unhappiness into that environment or stress, you know, or unnecessary tension, yeah, I think you should think, you should think twice. You touched upon loneliness there. That seems to be one of the biggest challenges right now or obstacles that remote teams or workers face. And in my personal experience, you know, I've worked remotely for the last over five years and I've had different periods of loneliness and isolation throughout my career. And it's always a learning journey. You know, even when I went full time with my business, it was a completely different type of loneliness because I didn't have a team around me. So, you know, I've had to put different proactive measures in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I'm always playing with that, depending on what I need at the time. But what do you guys do around loneliness? I mean, I know we spoke, you have meetings, you give opportunities for people to bond and build relationships. Is there anything that you do personally or you encourage the rest of your team to do to prevent remote working isolation? Uh, there's a lot of little things that we try. And to be honest, for me personally, the thing I do is I, I, I go into a WeWork every day. And, you know, for the last couple of weeks, I'm sitting in there by myself, but there are other people in, in the surrounding offices. Because uh, I don't like being at home by myself. And I haven't actually worked out a great way for me personally to do that that's sustainable. I can do it for you know odds and ends and, and days here and there, but I, I don't want to do it five days a week. Within the company, you know, during onboarding, we try and pair people up with a buddy. So they'll get a team buddy. They'll get a, a company buddy. We have team calls that happen. It depends on the region. In APAC, there's a call every day. At I think about 1.30 Australian time, uh, which is just a purely social call. Uh, people jump on it for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then, and then jump off. In the US, they do that on a Friday afternoon, I think, and they, uh, and they drink. Nice. Yeah, that's a, it's a more, quite a fun one, apparently. I haven't had the pleasure of being yeah. on that one. In, the, in EMEA, uh, they've got a um, – they don't do calls. We've suggested a couple of times, but they – they haven't adopted it, but they have very active Skype groups where they're chit-chatting throughout the day. They check in in the mornings and then they have a lot of banter that goes on. But what they said they prefer Skype because the language wouldn't be good on the corporate systems or something like this. I don't know. Uh, so, you know, it's different strokes for different people. We use Donut, you know, the Slack plugin yeah. with varying degrees of, of take-up. We use Know Your Team, great product that sends out polls every week three polls, that social questions, company questions, check-ins. We do internal like interviews, like ask me anything. Brie, uh, journalist on staff, she, um, she picks a different person every couple of weeks and, and interviews them, gathers questions from the company, live streams it, and, and then records it and shares it out. Uh, you know, a lot of shout-outs and you know, Slack channels and so on. So there's, there's a lot of different ways we're trying to provide for people to interact. And it's 
almost like optional. Yeah. And it sounds like you give, you know, the teams and the people the autonomy to create social interactions that they feel are useful. Like even you said, you know, with the EMEA team, we've encouraged them to do this, but they prefer this. And it's given that ownership over to people to say, look, this is this is really important. These are your options, but, you know, you choose what suits you, which I love. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, so the way uh, the way I try to think about it is, you know, we have principles and then we have guidelines and then we have rules. You know, and so a rule might be that you have to respond to an email within 24 hours. We don't want to use rules on this unless, you know, it's, it's really clear and, and we think it's super important. But the principle is stuff like we want to be connected. And so then we'll have guidelines around that, you know, that we want people to interact. We want them to know people in other teams. And then there'll be a whole lot of behaviors that we try, sort of nudge behaviors, I guess. You know, we're trying to push people in the the right direction, but not force them. I think as we continue to scale, and this is something that Stella, um, we've got a really fantastic uh, person who does uh, uh, talent and culture for us. Stella, and, and so one of the things that we've been talking about recently is can we give the teams and individuals and the leaders better tools that they can use to try to offer those experiences and, and maybe make them a bit consistent? Uh, not necessarily that everyone has to do the same thing, but at least that we're offering a similar experience to everybody and then they can choose to adapt it. It's definitely something we could get better at. Brilliant, Tim. Love it. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. <laughs> I really could, but I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I think it's been a really interesting conversation today. There's so many things I I did want to ask you that I didn't get a chance. So maybe we'll have you on again at some point in the future. And I just want to thank you for being a guest and sharing your experiences and sharing the highs, the lows, the learnings, the improvements that you've had along the way, both as a leader and within the team. And that's, that's what this podcast is all about. So is there anything else you'd like to add or if anybody else would like to maybe find out a little bit more about you or what you guys do, where can they go? Sure. So I'm on Twitter more than I should be. Uh, Planet Burgess, Planet, you know, like the thing in the sky. And, and uh, my surname Burgess is my uh, Twitter Twitter handle. The company Shield Geo, so shieldgeo.com. But I guess the one thing I want to say, thank you very much for the conversation. Super interesting. And I'm a big fan of, of the work that you're doing. And, and I love the, the approach that you're bringing into the industry. And actually, the thing I like the most about the industry, when I say the industry, you know, people who are working remotely, companies who are adopting this and people who, who, are, uh, who are trying to uh, push it forward, is how collaborative it is and how supportive everybody is of each other that there is this broad range of uh, experiences and approaches uh, and, and that it's, it's overwhelmingly positive in terms of trying to uh, encourage and learn. Uh, it's really wonderful to be a part of. Uh, I feel very grateful mm. for that. Uh, and thank you for your contribution to, to creating that environment. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for sharing your experiences. You know, that's that's the most important part of it. So I I agree. I, I think we can all learn something from each other. I think with this stuff, we're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to improve. We're all trying to get better all of the time and build, you know, more genuine human connections as we scale teams and, and companies all around the world. So thank you for being on today and sharing yours. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Human Behind the Screen. I hope that you found it beneficial and had lots of key takeaways from today's conversation. Head on over to iTunes and don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you do have any ideas or would like to advertise on this podcast, you can email us directly at podcast at operateremote.com. If you want to learn even more from this podcast and check out the key themes that came up, you can check out our blog at www.operateremote.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening and talk soon.